joined on the third episode of our CPI HD podcast by Rory Halpin, Executive Director, and Ashling Hearns, Therapy Coordinator with Sporazzi. Sporazzi is the National Centre for Rehabilitation of Victims of Torture in Ireland. In this podcast, we will learn more about their services and gain an insight into torture rehabilitation in the Irish context. Thank you very much for joining us um, on this episode of our podcast. Um, and Rory, I might start with you. Could you tell us to start off, what is Sparasi? Um, How did the organisation develop in Ireland? And if you could tell us a little bit about your services. Sure, sure. So thanks, Sarah. Uh, yeah, so Sparasi was founded back in 1999 um, by the Spiritans. Spiritans are a uh, religious congregation in the in the Catholic Church and they like everybody else was kind of scrambling around trying to um, respond to the to the influx of asylum seekers into the country people seeking international protection at that time up until 1994-95 the numbers are very small 35 36 people per year but that number increased uh, exponentially really and by 1999, four or 5,000 people had come in that year. So, as I say, many NGOs, uh, religious organizations, the, the, the state itself were trying to kind of manage and respond to this um, this influx of people. And so initially what the Spiritans decided was that they would set up a house of welcome, which they did on, on 213 North Circular Road. That's where we're based. And... Um, and which was fine and then because of their own tradition they have a kind of an education tradition they have schools around Dublin and and the country they decided well maybe we could help people with the immediate need of, of learning the language because obviously many people didn't have English as their first language and uh, began to offer classes to asylum seekers uh, in North Circular Road but I suppose when they did that, they realized on, on or noticed, if you like, that that many of the people coming into the classrooms just weren't able to cope with the teaching. They weren't taking on board stuff in any way, uh, a meaningful way. And they realized that people had been traumatized. And again, on, on a bit of closer examination or discussion, that some of the, the people coming in had been tortured. And that kind of prompted a shift then in the organization to say, OK, well, maybe we need to respond to that while while holding on to the English language class, which is which is one of our services and continues to be one of our services and providing English language to uh, to uh, traumatized asylum seekers, severely traumatized asylum seekers, which is now our focus. And and I suppose that kind of that that shift involved um, bringing on board doctors to to carry out medical assessments initially. Um, and that moved into providing ultimately medical legal reports for the protection process. And again, just seeing the need for therapy to be involved. So the therapists were brought on board and a psychosocial function. And, and that kind of mirrored our own understanding of, um, I suppose, the, the, the nature of torture, how it impacted on the whole person, that every aspect of the person is, is affected by, by the torture. And, and so every aspect needs to be rehabilitated. So, so Sparazzi, as it became to be known, uh, is now the centre for the rehabilitation of, of torture victims in Ireland. And that's our kind of main focus. So uh, 
I've mentioned a few of the services there. So we, as I say, we have our English language classes. We provide medical legal reports for the for the international protection process. So that's a that's a fairly focused uh, expert report that um, highlights to the the extent to which a person may or may not have been been tortured, and it it's given in evidence then to the to the International Protection Office if, if the decision is at that first stage or, or at the appeal stage in the tribunal. And uh, if they can be very, and are often very helpful and, and the feedback from them is, it would say that uh, they can often be decisive in terms of whether a person gets uh, eventual status or not. Um, uh, Ashley That's can good. talk about the, the, the uh, you know, the whole piece about therapy and, and the psychosocial support. And yeah, Ashling, you are the therapy coordinator with Sprazi. Can you tell us about your role? Um, what a typical day looks like, who you meet, who you work with? Sure, yeah. So uh, as a therapy coordinator, I manage the wider therapy team. So um, I'm also a psychotherapist myself. So I also see clients for, for some clinical work as well. Uh, the therapy team is made up of myself, uh, six part-time psychotherapists, two family therapists, again part-time and then we have three volunteer therapists as well um, we mainly work out of Dublin uh, obviously at the moment everything is online and over the phone but when post-covid or pre-covid um, we, we work out of Dublin the Dublin office that Rory was referring to there and then we also have a therapist in Cork, Limerick, Galway and Waterford so we are trying to expand so my normal day varies really so um, I'm engaged in lots of different areas of the service uh, so some days I'd be meeting with the wider management team and looking at organizational issues. Other days I'd be meeting with the therapists as a group, um, as the team or individually to do case management. So kind of overseeing all of the th clients that the therapists are working with. And then on other days I'm doing my own clinical work. So seeing clients for one to one therapy or running different groups um, or doing clinical assessments as well. And then on top of all that, there's a lot of admin, uh, as always. So this could involve, you know, writing reports uh, for the, for the, about the therapy services or writing clinical reports for clients to be used in the process, the international protection process that Rory was referring to there. Have you seen um, an increase in demand for your services over the last number of years or have you seen changes in, in who's coming forward to look for, for therapy? Um, we've absolutely seen a an increase in demand. We, we do have long waiting lists. Um, which which are difficult to manage to the point where in Sparasi, our remit is victims of torture, survivors of torture. So anyone who falls outside of that category, unfortunately, uh, we aren't able to see uh, for the most part, which means that there is uh, a large percentage of asylum seekers who are suffering from severe trauma or who need uh, therapy support or psychosocial support. And there isn't another service uh, for them out there. So Sparasi is seeing, you know, a huge demand in relation to victims of torture alone, but the demand for services similar to Sparasi is also there. Um, okay. In relation to the different people that we're seeing coming towards the service, we're seeing a lot more women um, seeking asylum now in Ireland and also obviously coming to our service as a result um, of having experienced torture. And we're also seeing an increase in LGBTQ people um, seeking asylum and, and also coming into the service as victims of torture. In 
another one of our podcasts with Alona Fricker, um, we talked about trauma and torture and what it exactly is meant by these terms. Um, can you explain to us what is meant by torture in the Irish context? Um, and I guess working with survivors of torture, have you any guidance on communication skills or how to conduct a subjective assessment, how to broach those sensitive issues for people that may not work in this field every day? Yeah, so in, in Ireland, we were signed up to the United Nations Convention Against Torture, uh, which means that we have basically stated that we will not torture and we will also offer as full a rehabilitation as possible to people who have been tortured. So we follow their definition in Sparasi, um, which is very wordy and long, and I'm not going to try to repeat it, but basically the, the three elements of it are someone who's suffered severe harm or suffering, um, whether that be mental suffering or physical suffering, um, which was uh, carried out for a purpose. So intimidation, confession, information and done, uh, done by someone acting in an official capacity. So this can be military, police, government, or some cases, some non-state actors, such as um, terrorist groups that might have control over certain areas in certain countries. So that's the definition that we follow uh, when it comes to torture. Now, Ireland itself does actually have a bit of a history with torture, um, mostly up the north. Um, so there's a, a case called the Hooded Men, which is cited quite often in the torture literature. It's a very important case in relation to what is torture and what's uh, ill treatment. So that's um, something to look out for. And then also the Magdalene Laundries were also classed as coming under the uncat definition of torture. But in relation to day-to-day -day work for healthcare workers, uh, they're more likely to come into contact with uh, people who have suffered torture if people are so, um, seeking asylum or who have been granted refugee status. So in those cases, um, it, it's, it's very widespread in the asylum community. So one study in 2013 stated that up to 50% of forced migrants living in Ireland had experienced torture. Um, so some of the risk factors to look out for there would be someone who is seeking uh, international protection, someone who's fleeing a country which has a totalitarian regime, uh, someone from a, a minority group or someone who's a member of an opposing political party. So Sparasi have high numbers of LGBTQ people who've experienced torture, which obviously fall into those uh, categories. So if you come across someone in your clinic as a healthcare professional, um, it'll be worth who fall into these categories would be worth broaching the subject of torture there's no right or way of doing right or wrong way of doing that um what i would suggest is not being afraid to bring up the topic um one way of doing that might be by saying something along the lines of uh, some people who seek asylum or refuge do so because they've experienced certain things in their home country one experience a lot of people have reported is torture and then maybe give a, a short definition of what torture is and then just ask, is this something you want to talk more about or is this something you've experienced? Um, another way of approaching okay. it would be if someone is presenting with physical or psychological symptoms, you know, this can be a lead into the conversation. So, for example, asking, you know, how did you get that scar or do you want to tell me a little bit about the nightmares you're experiencing? And this might just open up the conversation a bit. The one thing that I would suggest um, just to ensure the whole time is that the person feels they have a choice as to whether they respond to these questions or not and feels empowered in the exchange.
Okay, brilliant. That's really good advice. Really, really good advice. Um, and like you said, if someone did disclose a history of torture um, in your clinic or in the hospital, etc., what's the next step? Or is there anything as healthcare professionals we should be doing um, in particular? Yeah, well, if, if, you, if the healthcare professional is going to continue working with that person, um, as opposed to referring them on to, to somewhere like Sparasi, uh, I, I'd suggest just making sure that there is uh, you create a safe environment where the client feels um, that they can build a trusting boundary relationship with with the healthcare practi practitioner. Um, choice is really important. Feeling empowered is really important, uh, regardless of the treatment modality. So lots of people, even therapists, you know, within the therapy community, work in different ways. But the main things would be safety, choice, and empowerment especially when it comes to survivors okay. of torture because the power dynamics are used as part of that torture um, and it, it can be really unsettling. So um, Sparasi therapists follow the Judith Herman's approach to treating complex trauma. I don't know if you've come across Judith Herman. So she would be a trauma specialist no. um, uh, working for, for decades now. And she, she kind of promoted this idea of complex PTSD as opposed to PTSD. Um, as the only trauma-related disorder. So we work mainly with complex trauma in Sparasi because our clients are mostly asylum seekers who have suffered torture, which means that they have mostly suffered the, the triple trauma paradigm, is what we refer to. So the triple trauma paradigm would be the trauma that happened in the, the home country, which for our clients would be torture, the trauma that happened on, on their way to the host country, so in transit, uh, so a lot of our clients have had very arduous journeys. Um, so in boats, in the backs of trucks, being trafficked into countries, spending time in refugee camps in Europe. And then the trauma that happens in the host country. So this is, you know, the legal process in Ireland, the asylum process, culture shock, racism, complex grief from leaving family or children behind. So all of these traumas compound together and it can create a complex trauma which is, 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 is a little bit more difficult to treat um, than PTSD. Mm. And you mentioned there about referring to Sparasi. Um, can anyone refer or how does that process work? Uh, Rory, do you want to take that one? Sure, sure. Um, so there are two main avenues uh, into the organisation, Sarah. One is if a person is a victim of torture and they want to be uh, uh, rehabilitated I suppose is the word we would use, but to be helped in that regard, it's normally a GP that would refer in, and that's. But any any ultimately any healthcare professional can can refer in, but it's normally that we would ask for the GP details as well, so we can keep that line of uh, communication going with their local health, the primary healthcare piece, and then the second bit is what I was talking about earlier that if a person is looking for a medical legal report, then it is their solicitor normally who refers in. Ashling, you had mentioned there about complex trauma, and I guess it really brings to light the complexity of the issues that many survivors of torture may present with to your services. After particularly difficult sessions, do you have a system in place for you, your staff, the interpreters working with you? Um, do you have a debriefing process or how does that work? So for, for interpreters that work with Sparasi, because we have so many different languages, uh, we mainly contract interpreters in through agencies, uh, interpreting agencies. 
So um, during their initial sessions, we always make clear that if they need to debrief after a particularly difficult session, that the therapist can stay on and do that. Um, and sometimes an interpreter will, will request that and sometimes they won't. Um, but we, we always give that as an option. Um, as for the therapists themselves, so all of the therapists, we all have um, external one-to-one uh, -one supervision with our, our supervisors outside of the service. And then internally, I would meet with each therapist um, once a month and do case management uh, on a one-to-one -one basis. And then we also have um, an internal group multidisciplinary supervision where we have someone come in to provide um, supervision for the therapists, the doctors and the psychosocial teams um, as a group. And then we also have for the therapy team internal peer supervision. So the therapists would meet and discuss cases or just, you know, kind of bounce cases off each other to try and ensure that everyone is fully resourced um, and has a chance to debrief. And then there's, you know, individual instances where you might have had a very difficult session or a suicidal client and in those cases we just link in with whoever would be available so for example it would generally be myself as the coordinator but if I wouldn't be available the therapists would um, link in with each other and, and just talk about what's happened uh, get advice if needed or just have a chance to, to talk it out. Brilliant, good stuff. Um, and then my next question is, is there training that we can do as healthcare professionals in Ireland? Is there any particular training um, in working with survivors of torture that you could recommend? Uh, well, Sparasi provide training. Um, so we, we don't have it scheduled throughout the year. We, we, we work mostly on a request basis. So we provide a training to lots of different okay. um, organisations uh, across Ireland on uh, how to work with victims of torture or how to work with interpreters. Um, there's a list of the different trainings on the website as well. Uh, so cultural competency, self-care, all of those things are covered. Um, we used to have uh, an online platform for, for training, which isn't active at the moment, but we're hoping to generate that again um, over the next year or so. And then some of our CPIHD group are very much in the world of academia, lecturers and researchers, and they're wondering, do you think content on survivors of torture and healthcare for survivors of torture should be included in undergrad and postgrad curricula? Um, or do you know where it's at at the moment? Oh, well, absolutely. I think it should be included. So it's far more common than people think. Um, and the, the numbers of people seeking asylum around the world are increasing every year. So at the end of 2019, the amount of forcibly displaced people throughout the world was hitting 80 million. So we're now coming to the end of 2020. So that would be, be even higher. And victims of torture um, are widely overrepresented in the refugee community. So if you're even looking at the numbers for Ireland, with that statistic saying 50 percent, of forced um, migrants in Ireland have experienced torture. It's definitely worth including in, in any kind of um, professional training, uh, whether in healthcare or in uh, policy. And Brilliant, good stuff. Um, and for our members listening, how do we get involved or with your organization? Is there volunteering or therapy roles or what are you looking for, I guess, if there's people interested in getting involved? Yeah, I'll, I'll take this, Sarah. Yeah, I, there's a number of ways that people can get involved. Um, there are specific skill sets. Obviously, if there are therapists who are interested, then, you know, they would apply directly to, to Ashling. 
Um, but in general, we have what we call a befriending program, which is an interesting one that's happened in the last couple of years. And that involves, as the name suggests, just, just becoming friends with the, the, the particular client and supporting them in their integration into, into Irish society. And that's open to everybody. Um, you don't have to have a specific qualification if you like to do that. And it can be just such an, a, an important piece in the whole rehabilitation process. Um, but over the years, again, we have had doctors who've volunteered hours. We've had, interestingly enough, we've just um, got an application in from a, ther a physiotherapist who's interested in giving us some hours free. So on all levels, there, there, are, there are possibilities. Okay, brilliant. Great stuff, because definitely I think some of our, our group and our members would be very interested in this. Um, and kind of finally, I'm wondering, are there any resources that you would recommend? And I think you've mentioned some already, I think, for healthcare workers interested in learning more about supporting victims of torture. Um, are there any like guidelines, research papers, even, I don't know, videos or movies or anything that you would recommend as a starting point? Um, I think well, probably myself and Rory could probably take this one together. But in relation to um, an excellent documentary, which is on the RTE archives, um, which is called The Torture Files, uh, is, is, is great. It's only half an hour long and it shows... Um, torture in the Irish context so sometimes when we talk about torture it's very easy to think oh that's that stuff that happens over there you know but we, we do have a history of it in this country and it's an excellent documentary um, again called it the torture files which can be found on the RTE archives in relation to research in that I'm currently great. doing a PhD um, in the area but I won't have that research available for another year at least um, but oh, there, are, there are some fantastic documents that are freely available on the internet. So there's something called the Istanbul Protocol, which is great for healthcare workers in okay. recognizing um, torture. Um, so the, the physical and psychological sequelae of torture. So it would cover different injuries from different torture um, acts and then also the, the psychological consequences and it outlines how that might present in victims as well. Um, another fantastic website is the cool. IRCT, um, which would be the it, where it's a Sparasi is a member of this organization. They would be the international organization for the rehabilitation of torture. Um, so there's fantastic resources uh, can be found there. I don't know, Rory, if there's anything you want to add there. Um, no, I think you've covered it. Uh, actually, I, I would recommend the Judith Herman book again. That's that's a kind of a good a, kind of a, an overarching piece for us in terms of how we, we move through our rehabilitation piece in the organization. Uh, Freedom from Torture. That's the other. We have a UK sister organization in uh, called Freedom from Torture in the UK, and they they also provide information. So, yeah. Uh, I think they would be the main things that we would we would be recommending. So thank you to Rory and Ashling for joining us. If you'd like any more information on their services, it's available at sparasi.ie.